0: This is Hooks and Runs, a podcast about baseball, music, and culture. The first episode of season three. It's 2022. I hope everybody had a happy holiday season and are off to a good start in 2022. Rex, it's hard hard to believe it's already four days into the year. Yeah, it is. (laughs) But here we are. Here we are. We're back. We've got a ill co-host today, so Rex and I are going to wing it. There we go. We're gonna wing it. That's how we're gonna start season three with a wing it episode. So uh Rex, I thought we'd start with a review of the bowl games. Okay. You remember a few episodes ago we had Amy Daughters from FBschedules dot com. A great interview with her on mm. college football issues, but at the end we did a little bowl contest. Andrew and I did. Andrew's not here to explain himself, nor is he here. To tell me that I have to take a loss for A&M not playing in the Citrus Bowl. <laughs> not the Citrus Bowl, the Gator Bowl. Well, that, that, that's his loss. So, yeah. So, there you go. So, anyway, we're going to go through the games and see how we did. So, the first game was San Diego State and UTSA in the Frisco Bowl. One of two bowl games in Frisco. Rex, there's only a couple of cities that have more than one bowl game. So, one of them is New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They have the Sugar Bowl, the big one. Usually on New Year's Day, and then they have an earlier bowl. I think it's called the New Orleans Bowl. They change sponsors, but that's a bowl game that usually has the Sun Belt and Conference USA. Okay. So New Orleans, but you can see why New Orleans would have two bowl games. Yeah. And then another one is Orlando, and I think they're up to three. Wow. But who doesn't want to go to Orlando in January? <laughs>
1: yeah. Right.
0: The big one is the uh, is the Curate Bowl that I think includes ACC and um, I think it's ACC and Big Ten, but I'm not sure about that. I don't even know who played in it this year. Well, I'll take that back. I think it was Central Florida and Florida, but I'm not sure about that. But uh, you can see why Orlando would be a popular bowl destination. And oh, then yeah. the third bowl game. Now, you may count the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. The Rose Bowl is actually in Pasadena. Okay. And since they built the new stadium for the, for the Rams and, I guess, the Chargers, that stadium now has a bowl game. I think it's called the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, or maybe it's the L.A. Bowl, Los Angeles Bowl. Mm-hmm. So there are three cities, and you can understand it: Los Angeles on the west, New Orleans, party capital of the southeast, oh, yeah. and Orlando, Disney World. And the fourth is Frisco. Now, what does Frisco have that has them <laughs> drawing two ball games? I don't know that I've ever been to Frisco, but it doesn't strike me as the type no. of place that has would have two ball games when you've got Las Vegas or Phoenix or all these wonderful cities. Right. Frisco has two ball games two days apart. Anyway, the first of those two was this game, San Diego State and UTSA and San Diego State won 38 to 24. Andrew and I picked San Diego State so we're tied there at 1 and 0 and Amy picked UTSA and so she gets a X for that one. The next game up on the schedule chronologically was the Birmingham Bowl in Birmingham, Alabama, Houston mm-hmm. and Auburn. And I picked Houston and Andrew picked Auburn and so did Amy. And Houston won that game seventeen to thirteen. They had a great season, finishing eleven and two. Their losses were to Texas Tech, the first game of the season. Mm-hmm. Then they lost the last game of the regular season to Cincinnati in the American Championship game, and uh, that was it. And then they beat Auburn. Auburn finishes their season five losses in a row.
1: Good for Houston. <laughs>
0: That's right. Houston had a losing record last year, so um, good hats off to them. They are must. They're playing the transfer portal well. So the next bowl up was Liberty Bowl in Memphis, Tennessee. I would love to go to Memphis, Tennessee for any reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Liberty Bowl is as good as any. And I've never been to Memphis, but, man, I'd love to spend the day on Beale Street. Texas Tech. Uh, I picked Texas Tech, and uh, Amy went against her alma mater and picked Mississippi State, and so did Andrew. And Tech won that game in a route 34-7, to which I was kind of happy about because Mike Leach, the coach of Mississippi State, Really got on my bad side as much as I'm not a big tech fan, but Mm -hmm. when Mississippi State coach Mike Leach made a a big rant about players opting out of the bowl games, and then people remember when he was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and left the team for a bowl game (laughs) to take the head coaching job at Texas Tech. But we'll talk about bowl games (laughs) in a minute. We'll cover we'll cover the opting out in a minute, but yeah. So um, anyway, the next game up was the Alamo Bowl or Alabama I'm sorry. The Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma, 47, Oregon, 32, a real shootout, which everyone knew was going to happen. Unfortunately, I picked Oregon. Amy and Andrew picked Oklahoma and got that one right. Next was the Outback Bowl in Tampa, Florida. Another pretty good spot to go if you're from State College, Pennsylvania, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the uh, dead of winter. This was now we're at the New Year's Day games. Arkansas won that game 24-10 to to complete a real turnaround season for them. Winning, I think they ended up 9-4, and which was great for Arkansas. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been winning one, two, and three games the last three or four years. So, I picked Arkansas, and so did Amy, but Andrew picked Penn State. So, he gets a X X on that one. Mm-hmm. The Fiesta Bowl was next. I watched, uh, this is the game I watched the most of. It was probably the best game I didn't watch some of the games but this mm-hmm. was probably the best game Notre Dame got out to a 28 to 7 lead in the game and then gave up 30 consecutive points and ended up um, ended up uh, um, losing the game to Oklahoma State 37 to 35 so Oklahoma State gets to win that's kind of a disappointing season for them they were actually in the hunt for the playoffs. Now, the interesting thing about this game is there are two interesting records in the game. Oklahoma State's largest comeback before yesterday had been 20 points, and Notre Dame had never before relinquished a three-touchdown lead. Really? Firsts so, for the first, game? both both sides on that one. Big comeback win for Oklahoma State. Kudos to the Cowboys. I'm a big fan of—I I like Oklahoma State. I've got a real good friend that went there, but— Stillwater is one of the all-time great college towns. I've been to four games, four Aggie games in Stillwater, and I just that was the one thing about A&M moving to Southeastern Commerce I hated was those road trips to Stillwater. Let's see, where are we? The Rose Bowl, another shootout. Oklahoma, um, not Oklahoma State, Ohio State, the other OSU, forty-eight, Utah forty-five. I think a surprise. Utah had the Buckeyes on the ropes virtually the whole game. Oklahoma, um, I keep saying Oklahoma State. Ohio State came back at the end and won the game by three. A real shootout. I didn't see that game because it was on kind of, I mean, New Year's Day. But it must have been a fantastic game, a real fun game. Back and forth the whole way. And then the last game, New Year's Night, was the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Baylor 21, Ole Miss 7. Oh, by the way, we all picked Ohio State to win that game. Nobody gave Utah a chance, but they played a great game against the Buckeyes. And then I picked... Ole Miss and so did Andrew, but Amy picked Baylor and Baylor won that game. Now that leaves the two semifinal games that were played on New Year's Eve. The afternoon game was the Cotton Bowl game between Alabama, the number one team, and Cincinnati. Okay. Cincinnati gave them a good game, but Alabama pulled ahead at the end and won 27-6. to We all picked Alabama along with every living soul totally. outside of the yeah, state of well. Cincinnati, <laughs> outside of the city of Cincinnati. And then the Orange Bowl that night – I'm a little embarrassed by this one. Georgia wins that one 34-11. Michigan was never in that game. I picked Michigan to win for some reason. Mm -hmm. I must have had a temporary brain lock or something. (laughs) But Georgia, uh, Amy and Andrew picked Georgia. So the way it boils down with 10 games, because two games that we picked were canceled, the Gator Bowl between A&M and Wake Forest. Rutgers subbed in on that game and lost, I think, around 20-point loss. And then the Fenway Bowl, the what was supposed to be the second year of the inaugural Fenway Bowl. <laughs> Two years it's been canceled. Oh man! Uh, that game uh, was supposed to be between SMU and Virginia, and it was canceled because of Virginia COVID issues and not rescheduled or not played. So I finished seven and three, which is unusually good for me. Amy finished seven and three, and Andrew finished five and five. Sway there you go. Goes. You won. That's <laughs> the way <it> goes. <laughs> I don't win too many. Speaking of me not winning. Faithful listeners will remember that in season one and in season two, Eric and I would do in March a war draft. War is wins above replacement. Essentially, we drafted a starting nine, which included a designated hitter. And then we took five starting pitchers and two relief pitchers. No trades, no replacements, no waiver wire, no anything. You've got those 16 players and that's who you have Mm -hmm. for the season. So last year, Eric won by about 0.5 war points. Okay. This year, it wasn't so close. (laughs) (laughs) This year, it wasn't so close. Eric ended up with 32.1 war points on his offensive players and 23.5 on his pitching for a total of 54.6, which is really an outstanding score. Absolutely. to To get that many points. And then... Like I say, I was not even in the ballpark. I had 27.1 offensive points and 16.4 pitching points for a total of 43.5. So Eric ends up beating me this time by 11.1. There you go. So just to kind of run down some of the players that were involved in this route. For Eric, his big guns were on the offensive side. He He had five players that ended up with over four points in war which is a pretty good season. He got the nationally MVP Bryce Harper, 5.9. And then Freddie Freeman had a great season, another 300 season with 31 home runs this time, 4.7. Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, 4.2. Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals, 4.1. And Wilson Contreras, the Cubs catcher, 4.1. So that's outstanding when half of your team is over four, on the war. And then after that it wasn't too bad. He had Corey Seager at 3.7. His worst players were DJ LeMahieu, the second baseman, the 2020 batting champion, had 1.5. His first pick in the offensive side of the draft was Mike Trout. He only played 36 games but still had 1.8 war points. Now, on the pitching side, Garrett Cole, 5.7 points, 16 and 8 for Garrett Cole, 3.23 on the ERA. And then Max Scherzer, 5.2. So he had two starting pitchers over five, which is fantastic. Nice. Scherzer went 15-4 and four with a two forty six. It's hard to believe Scherzer turns 38 in July. I keep thinking wow. he's a young pitcher because he pitches like one, but he's, yeah. he's getting up there in years. His worst starting pitcher was Clayton Kershaw, and he still turned in a 2.4 despite some injuries. So he got quality points out of all of his starters and his relievers. Now, relievers normally don't crank out a lot of points, but – Liam Hendricks had 2.6 for the A's. And and then Kenley Jensen was his worst relief pitcher at 2.3. Kenley, of course, plays for the Dodgers. So Eric just pretty much did great on his draft, to say the least. So Closed out. Now, the other side of the spectrum is me. So I had three guys that totaled for 19 points. 19 of my 27 points were three guys. Juan Soto, who was second in MVP with another great year for the Nationals. Fernando Tatis Jr., who finished third in MVP. Soto was second, 6.6. Led the National League in home runs with 42. And then I also had Salvador Perez, a guy that I thought would have a good year, but he had an off-the-charts year. Career year across the board at age 31, the catcher for the Royals. Led the American League with 48 home runs. He had 5.3. After that, it gets really, really bleak. Ronald Acuna had 3.6, and Jose Abreu for the White Sox had 3.0, and then it goes all the way down. I ended up with Cody Bellinger, who was the most valuable player of the National League in 2019. He had 165 this year and had negative 1.5 war. It's like the wow. one of the worst picks you can <laughs> oh, get, wow. and he was my first pick. Oh, he was man. my first pick. Also, also, Anthony Rendon, the Angels – this guy's starting to look a little bit like a bust at two years in Anaheim. He hit 240 this year with six home runs and 34 runs batted in. Not what they were expecting when they signed this guy after the big 2019 season. Last year in the abbreviated season, he hit 286 with nine home runs, so not too bad. But in 2019, 319, 34 home runs led the National League with 126 runs batted in. That's what the Angels thought they were getting when they paid him. God oh, knows it what maybe, it turns yeah. out to be. It's going to be over two hundred million dollars. Mm. Ouch. A couple of disappointing seasons from Kettle Marte, one point eight. Christian Yelich, who just seems like he's not coming back to twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen form. He won the MVP in twenty eighteen. Was on his way to winning the MVP in twenty nineteen when he uh, injured himself. I think it was a knee injury, but I'm probably going to be. That'll probably be the correct injury. Will probably be in the errata in show notes. Um. And then last year he dipped all the way down to two hundred five. Thought, well, maybe he's just affected by the situation with the limited schedule and the no fans, and right. everyone adjusts differently to that. Came back this year, only hit two forty eight with nine home runs. Injured again. Kristen Yelich, the Brewers owe him a fortune for the next five or six years, and man, he's got to he's got to turn it around. That's going to be a millstone around their neck. Yeah. On the pitching side, I had three pitchers in the fours. Jacob DeGrom, Lucas Giolito, and Lance Lynn. Trevor Bauer, who only pitched half a season, had a 3.0. My two relievers, though, not that they could have saved the day, but Brad Hand, 0.0 war. Alex Colon, zero minus 0.7. <laughs> oh, no. I wrecked the bullpen. So, final score, Eric wins big from the war draft, 54.6 to point. Five. Maybe I shouldn't do the war draft. Maybe I should stick to bowl games. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) I came in today. Rex was stringing a guitar. That's about two weeks in a row. Rex is stringing a guitar here at Crazy Carl's. Rex, I got to say, I'm really disappointed that your New Year's Eve gig didn't make.
1: Yeah, it was unfortunate. Uh, COVID issues with the headlining band. I don't blame them. They, they did the right thing. It's the
0: way it is these days, right? You take yeah. a chance.
1: It's not a big You're deal. They'll be
0: back. Chance. We'll we'll get out and rock. So, speaking of rocks, the Houston Rockets have been sinking like one. In <laughs> stage. I don't think you were referring to that kind of rock. No, no,
1: about. but you know, you said millstone earlier. Yeah. Well.
0: <laughs> The Rockets now have lost eight in a row. This has been a roller coaster year for the Rockets. This is, you know, it's it, this is just interesting. I'm not really a big NBA fan. I do want the Rockets to do well, but they're not this year. They've lost eight in a row. They're 10 and 28 now, dead last in the dead last in the NBA West Western Conference. But their next game will be without their leading scorer and their leading assist man and their leading rebounder, Christian Wood and Kevin Porter. Got into a scuffle. With an assistant coach, they've been suspended one game for poor behavior, if you could feel the air quotes going on there. Uh, In a run-in during the game, their last game with an assistant coach, Christian Wood leads the team with 16.8 points, 10.8 rebounds. Kevin Porter, 12 points a game, almost 13 points a game, leads the team in assists, 5.7. Two key starters out in the next game, but I don't know that it really matters because the Rockets don't seem like a team that's going to, pull off a miracle and go from one and 13 to the playoffs.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't feel it.
0: I don't feel it either. The eight game, maybe you can lose 13 games in a row to start the season, but you can't turn around and lose eight in a row later. No, that's a lot of makeup to do. Yeah, it is. So I don't know about the Rockets. It looks like this is a team that really is on the verge of imploding. And I hope not. I hope they have some type of respectability for the season and come along a little bit. Um, we mentioned the bowl games and Mike Leach and his comments about these college players don't show appreciation for the game. Kurt Herbstreet on, I guess, ESPN said the same thing, that these players don't have a love for the game. I think that's malarkey. A lot of the players who play on teams that make bowl games, uh, I say a lot, not very many. The ones that I think believe that it, they're better off not playing mm-hmm. and getting ready for the combine and the draft, the NFL draft, are not playing. These players aren't coming back anyway. The way I look at it as a fan of Texas A&M is if a junior or senior starting cornerback in our bowl game that is not a playoff game uh, decides not to play, then that means that next year's starter gets that game. Yeah. That, you know, would, make, that would make sense. Um, it's nice to win the bowl games. I like good competitive bowl games. I'm like you. We talked about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, about another aspect of the bowl games we're going to talk about, but Rex, what do you think about these p- college players now not playing? They're just well. I mean, I, I, on one side of the coin,
1: I can understand. You know, you want to avoid the injuries and stuff. You're, you're looking at going on to a bigger, better career or whatever. But you know, at the same token, these bowl games are important. You know, not necessarily in in the grand scheme of things, but for viewership and you know whatnot. So kind of on the fence about it you know but as we see you know some of these games were a lot more interesting than
0: they might have been and you know well I, I don't, maybe let the younger players I don't really play. know if you go back far enough with bowl games i mean why do we have bowl games to begin with i think when the bowl games started before world war ii there might have been six or seven or eight in a season and basically they were chamber of commerce type events in the south Mm -hmm. to bring the Big Ten teams down to the south or to the west coast for an exhibition. And, you know, you sell the city and sell some tickets, have an event. And you get all the Northerners to come down because the weather's horrible. Exactly. If you're able to, in those days, come down from Ann Arbor or Columbus, Ohio, or, you know, one of those places and come down to Orlando, Florida, or Miami to the Orange Bowl, you might do it. Uh, Travel was obviously a lot harder then. With the Before, trains and stuff. Yeah. maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe it wasn't so bad. Better than Airford. back roads. Which yeah. Is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, better than driving. Be- absolutely. Better than driving. But yeah, I mean they they did know how to get around. But I mean I guess the point is they were exhibitions from the beginning. They were always conceived to be exhibitions. Mm-hmm. And uh, what Rex was referring to is I kind of went back because both of the bo- both of the playoff games, the semifinal games, were fairly one sided. So Alabama beats Cincinnati by twenty one, and and Georgia beats. Michigan by 23, but that's not nearly as much of a blowout as the game was. Mm -hmm. So you've got the top four teams. By design, those should be great games. And yet, we're now eight seasons into this playoff, 16 semifinal games. All one and four games, or two and three games, should be, you would think, competitive games. The top four teams. 12 of the 16 semifinal games have been decided by more than 14 points
1: yeah and the, you know the, the, these get people are in games to watch,
0: yeah, and eight eight have been decided by more than twenty one points, so more than three touchdowns. so if you look at it, half the semifinal games that have been played have been decided by you know three possessions. Mm-hmm. Now I looked at the thirty two bowl games I didn't count the Cincinnati, Alabama game, and I didn't count the Michigan Georgia game, so I just looked at the thirty two remaining bowl games. These are games that are just random draw, right. Random draw, and especially this year with with some teams subbing in one game to the next, random draw games, nine only 9 of 32 were decided by more than 14 points. So if you're a football fan, the bowl games that are random draw bowl games are giving you better product on the TV screen than the semifinal games.
1: Right, and that's also kind of why I think, you know, go ahead and let the younger classmen play it. You know, that's where I lean on that other side of the fence there. You know, let them play,
0: and yeah, somebody's got to play. I mean, if the if the if the NFL, I mean, other than a few teams, most teams will want to have a large number of NFL prospects that will stay out. Right. For most people that are playing their last season, mm-hmm. the bowl game is the reward. I mean, they're going yeah. to be at that bowl game. So, because more likely than not, they're done. There's no minor league in football,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so uh, for the most part, they might get a you know an invite. But the players that are not likely to get drafted, and they know who they are, yeah. are, um, are players that are definitely going point. to the bowl game. Yeah,
1: that's, that's the highlight of their football career.
0: Exactly. So, um, so you're not going to have massive walkouts right. of these games. But you will see a quarterback or a running back or a receiver or a lineman or something that may think, if I don't play in this bowl game, don't risk the injury which we had an injury in the Mississippi game. Could have been worse than it was, but it turns out to be just a sprained ankle. He should be fine. The Mississippi quarterback who's expected to go high in the draft. We all know that if a player who's expected to go high in the draft has a serious injury and can't participate in the combine or be guaranteed healthy in the summer camp, that's going to cost that player millions of dollars. That that could break a career right there. Exactly, because you go in from a multi-million dollar career and football is such a fickle game anyway with injuries, there's no reason to get an injury in a game that doesn't really matter. It's
1: personal choice, and I don't think anybody else has any say in it. Yeah, you know? I, think Le- exactly. <laughs> I think the Mike leaders exactly.
0: I think the Mike Leeches of the world need to not talk about this subject because I noticed that Lincoln Riley did not coach Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You know, I noticed that Brian Kelly did not coach Notre Dame. Right. They move on. They are eye on the money. Mm-hmm. So if then, a, Why if are, a are you twenty? The players yeah, for if being twenty the same and twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old kid. Makes the same decision, what's the complaint? Yeah. And like I say, if a ms best whatever, receiver, quarterback, cornerback doesn't play in the bowl game, I figure that's just a head start for the next year's starter. 2022, any uh, interesting New Year's resolutions that you're going to share with us, Rex?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really? <laughs> Do better with my wife and better with the band, I guess.
0: I'm going to – well, I, yeah, I'd like to play more too, but I'm going to say – My New Year's resolution is the same this year. The one that I'll share is the same one I've had probably five or six years in a row now and I haven't done. I want to read one book a week. So I want to, not necessarily like literally one book a week, but I want to read 52 books in 2022. Okay. And I read some because anytime we have an author on, I read the book that we're going to talk about, obviously. But we don't do 52 of those. And so I'm reading one now and um. There's just no reason not to be able to do it. I think reading is good for you. So. Oh, absolutely.
1: I read constantly. It's my before-I-go-to-bed thing.
0: Yeah, but I'm talking about books. I read like... Well, no, you know, I, essays. That's, yeah.
1: that's what I read. Yeah. You know, so. Or, you know, nonfiction and
0: history. So, but at the same token, yeah. I'll
1: help you out and loan you the entire Dune series. <laughs> so, we talked about Dune.
0: Rex, Rex is just hell bent on making this a sci-fi podcast, which you never know. You never know. We're all over the board anyway, so... I think we've wrapped it up. This is Hooks and Runs, a podcast about baseball, music, and culture. If you like what you heard, please give us a like, a thumbs up, a subscribe. We are on Twitter at Hooks and Runs PC. Check us out there. Send us a DM if you want to, you know, give us an idea. If you like what you heard or or want to hear something on the podcast, let us know. So we'll be back next week. Hopefully, Andrew will get to feeling better, and we'll be back with us. We will see you then. Thanks and for joining us. You bet.